he's referred to as the man in the back of the room and introduced as the voice of God. He's told U.S. presidents where to sit, given Tony and Grammy award-winning celebrities direction, and lectured scads of students. But as he likes to point out, the event entertainment expert you don't know, you don't know, Anthony Bellata. And Bellatified. Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of Bolotified, the one and only podcast about events, entertainment, and podcasting. We're at episode 69. Can you believe it? 69. I'm Anthony Bolotta. I'm here as I am every week with the one and only Alex Eposelidis. That's Eposelidis. Eposelidis. How That's right. I, I'm good. Happy post, uh, as I call it, pagan Easter. I say that jokingly because it's pre-Orthodox Easter and Passover. And I had fun Seder yesterday that I went to. Oh, really? You yeah. went to a Seder? I went to a Seder. It's a fun Seder, too, because our mutual friend Milo uh, has taken the Haggadah and made it a little light. There's There's fun things that you do in there and... Uh, it's educational, but it's also mixed with humor. Um, it's not irreverent, but it's lighthearted. And a little bit interactive. Well, oh, very. Satyrs are. Yeah, so very interactive. Yeah. Great, great, great. So, and I found Afikoman, just saying. Say that again. I found the Afikoman. Oh, did you get a prize? Yes, but because he didn't plan on it, and it ended up being the best prize of all. I got a hug and a kiss from my friend. So, you know, what more can you want? I can tell you a few things that I would like. The hug was perfect. I was happy about that. Okay. I know yeah. you should be gracious and, and always, always, uh, um, you know, grateful. And right? an amazing so. meal by his partner. Robert oh, makes really? the most, oh my God, really? food, food for days. So yeah. you've been to a, you've been to a Grant Seder, yes? No, I've never been to a Grant Seder. Oh, so you must. Someday she's going to have to have you over for a Grant Seder because um, Judy and Hal always do um, games around theirs as well. I've been to one and I want to say, no surprise, that somehow there was also musical theater trivia. (laughs) Mixed in. I love that. I love that. With the Seder. Yeah, it was really, really great. Um, and maybe it wasn't mixed in. Maybe it was before. I just remember being a very integral part of the of the you know the celebration. So, well, how was this different yesterday? What did uh, what did he do to spice it up, our friend Milo? Well, it's Hero. the same. No, it's the same as he does. We just have I we haven't been able to do one as a group, and I haven't been to one of his. Gosh, in almost I'd say eight years just because years of COVID and then we were going to somebody else's house for Seder and that's much more traditional and I you know somehow just didn't work out but so his wasn't any different really than it always is it's just it seems his seems to fly you know so, sometimes they can be really long and his just fly. kind of moves it it moves at a, at a nice pace so every time you go to Seder there you have to put a gum stretcher in your mouth? No. So what that is, is afterwards, we're, these are a group of friends that we almost always, when we get together, play games. So I learned two new games yesterday. The first is called Telestrations. Now I Wait, can you're gonna doodle. Have to, you're going to have to say that again. Telestrations. Telestrations. Okay, so like illustrations, but, but you tell them. 
while you're drawing them, it's kind of like Pictionary and the, 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 the game Pictionary and the game Telephone come together. Okay. So there's, you throw a dice and whatever number you turn your card over and there's a word there. You write the word, then on the next page, you drop. So my very first one, jerk chicken. How does one draw jerk chicken? So not being an artist, especially with a big old fat erasable marker that, you know, I drew a man holding an ax, a chicken, an arrow with the ax through the chicken's neck and a drop of blood, hoping that somebody would get that it was a jerk and a chicken. Oh. And then the, what it is, is when you pass it. I'm guessing it, nobody got that. Oh gosh, the person to my left, such a sweetheart. She opens it. She can't make heads or tails. She just draws a question mark. So they have to guess what the word is or words are. And then if they're able to, they write it down and half the time it's wrong. And then the next person, when you go move it to the left again, they have to, based on their words, they draw a picture and then it moves around. That party looks at the pictures, has to guess what the word is. So then it's points based on, you know, so it changes. It changes. So it's oh. like telephone. And it and that was a lot of fun. I felt bad for the person sitting to the left of me because I am not an artist. By yeah. any stretch of the imagination, I cannot I draw uh -huh. to save my life. Uh -huh. So that was it. But then the other one was the game called Watch, Watch Your Mouth. Watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. Now, as an actor, I'm assuming you've done this, the cork exercise. Have you ever done the cork exercise? No, I can't say that I have. Oh, it's a it's a really it's, it's a great a, tool, especially in you're a tool. <laughs> I'm a tool, I know, especially for voiceover. You put the cork in your mouth and you bite. I who bite on the cork. I who enunciate each word. It's especially with a cork in your mouth. And it's really useful, especially if you're doing technical dialogue, medical dialogue, anything like that, any kind of scripting, it loosens everything up. And by over-enunciating, once you take that cork out, the dialogue just flows. Take the cork out. We should create a game that. So this is very similar. It's this mouth stretcher, much like you would see in a dentist's office. And it makes your mouth really, really big. Now there was one that was big and I used that one and it was so flexible. I was able to just talk like this, oh. this is too easy. I also, because I've done the cork exercise for so many years, I was kind of good at it. And that's when they, if you see the video that I posted on Facebook, they're like, you have to speed it up because I had to make it harder for people to guess. So the uh, one that's up there was actually difficult. And um, are you sharing mouth stretchers? So there, no, you're not sharing. Them. Ask, you know. No, 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 no. There's a bag of them that are boiled. And then you each have your own mouth stretcher. You do not share. <laughs> the bag of boiled mouth stretchers. In this. And they are boiled in between games. Sounds like a song. Only three of us were willing to do it out of the seven or eight that were there. But I mean... It's we a great way to stretch out your jaw too, right? It's a great way. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I have this tongue stretch that I like to do for very much the same reason. It helps to, you know, uh, relax the tongue. And 
um, but it doesn't look very nice. And I have to be careful when I'm doing it because it's basically, I look, look like I'm sticking my tongue out. Huh? And I know people have seen me doing it thinking, what the, it's crazy guy over there with his tongue. Uh, but it's very important to have a loose jaw. And I have a very tight jaw was one of the notes I got as a, a, a young singer and a young actor that I carry a lot of tension in my face. I had what they called dance face. You know, I was just <laughs> working so hard and it, you know, it showed on my face. I had to work on that too. And, you know, it, when you're a singer, you have to relax the throat and the jaw and the tongue so that you can, you know, flip the notes out of your voice, out of your, out of your mouth. And, uh, yeah, so this is a very good exercise. I'm going to try the cork, mm -hmm. the cork yeah. biting on the cork. Yeah, I would have my students when I was coaching kids vocally, I would have them do that for their lyrics so that they just, it just became very easy for them to say the lyrics. And, uh, you know, it's looks ridiculous, but. Yeah, and there's a, there's a, a secondary value in that too. And that is when you keep repeating something, you learn it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and then that's, that becomes your best defense anytime. These are good tricks for anybody that has to speak in front of a crowd and gets nervous. It's great to warm up your throat, warm up, you know, relax your tongue, stretch your tongue, uh, bite on a cork, any of this this will help to distract you from your nerves, number one, give you something to focus on, and then uh, actually help you with your presentation when you go out and you see all those people standing there staring at you waiting, sitting there staring at you waiting for, for you to wow them. entertain them, wow <laughs> them, right. So that was very interesting. I did see the video of Milo's uh, Seder and uh, you trying to get at the words hot plum warm, no, warm 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 plum, plum pudding, pudding. Uh, and if, I probably would have gotten it sooner if there wasn't so much guessing going on wrong guessing going on but uh, it was really funny it is very funny we and didn't play the game as it is intended we were just taking turns doing it you know uh, it's normally like two people so it's only one person guessing oh okay I that's see. kind of that's there why are different. Yeah. There are different configurations of ways you can play. And that it. game is called Watch Your Mouth. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I just love it, love it, love it. So this was a holiday weekend, both Pesach, as you just mentioned, and Easter as well. Uh, and it was a very interesting weekend here in San Diego. There, there were some things going on, but it didn't feel like a whole lot. And it rained as it sometimes does on Easter. We had a little bit of drizzle. So it felt very odd. It felt kind of unholiday-ish to me this week. And of course it was pagan anyway, so I knew you didn't care. It was my Palm Sunday. <laughs> so it was your Palm Sunday. Yeah. So and it didn't rain where I live. Oh, see, that's what we call microclimates here in mm -hmm. San Diego. Rains in some places, it doesn't in others. You can drive five minutes and the temperature will go up or down depending on where you're going drastically. Uh, so it wasn't a very eventful weekend. It didn't feel very eventful. It, it um, you know, there talk, there's talk about COVID again. Uh, there was a lockdown, not a lockdown, excuse me. Uh, there mass, is a mask mandate again in Philadelphia that I read about this morning. And that kind of worries me a bit. Um, in China, there is a lockdown. 
already in place because of the B2, I think it is, variant uh, of COVID. Um, it doesn't seem to be stopping people from planning, but it does mean that we are dealing with shorter time frames. People are waiting to the very, very last minute to uh, register, to uh, confirm their attendance. And that's a bit maddening for those of us in our world, especially conference planners and associations, you know, people who, uh, you know, a big part of their budget is reliant on people showing up to the live event. Uh, what we've seen also, though, is that the events that we've done have been well attended. Uh, and, mm -hmm. you know, people that are at at the events are excited to be back at events. And here's the other thing that I've, I, I just want to throw out there. You know, everybody's health and immunity is different, but so we've been a little bit more social than we've been these last few months and we've been working. And so we've been around people and it, it was a big step for me to demask, but I decided I was going to, and I'm still fine. And I haven't exposed to my knowledge to any any covid and uh not that i represent all people but it at least gives me a, a sense of uh confidence that i can be around people and you know not pick something up i'm still a bit cautious when i'm around people i try not to breathe in their faces and i try not to get too close to their faces especially if i don't know them um, I still have a tendency not to, there have been people who have specifically put their lips out to me to kiss them on the lips. And um, I've done that, but it always kind of gives me a little thing in my throat, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Um, most of the time, I will sort of turn my head and hug people because I still feel a sense of anxiousness about it. Um, but we're out and about and feeling no pain and wearing no masks. Uh, so that's a great thing. However, that said, it doesn't mean that a mask man might not once again be in our future because it just very well may be uh, with this new strain coming around. Um, you know, it's the bottom line is it's just not over. It's not as doesn't feel as urgent, but it's not over. And uh, it, it's going to show up in a variety of ways, some unexpected, some expected. Uh, and we are dealing with something right now for a fundraiser that we're doing. This is not a client. This is a, a labor of love. It's some, you know, a, a, a social services agency here in town that we volunteer for. And uh, we have an agreement with somebody we cherish Yes. Uh, who is an ultimate professional who is going to put together a group of young singers for us to help lead the crowd. And then I say crowd, the audience, and then uh, sing before our program. They're going to lead in song as well, by the way, from cocktails to the, uh, to the dinner. And the reason why we're doing that, one of the reasons is we're in a venue 
in which the cocktails need to take place in a space off of the lobby and the ballroom is on the second floor. So there's a bit of a walk from one area to the other. So we felt the need to uh, help people along. Well, in any case, uh, we met and we looked through the space. And at the time that we met, which was about a week ago, we knew that we would have likely a, a one or two performers, parents not really appreciate the fact that their kids are going to be in and among the crowd of mm-hmm. non-mask wearers. But uh, it's blown up. It's gotten, you know, that number has increased as you know, surprising to both our contact and to us it's 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 increased so you know now we are faced with having to sort of look at something else that you know another way to to make it work um and and here's the thing you know some people would say well just put the kids in masks and while i certainly don't want anybody to leave an event getting ill or getting a bug it it doesn't make sense for the children and the kids to be masked if the adults are not. It will it will only, in my estimation, give pause to the fact that they're not wearing a mask and and distract from what the intention of this is really all about. And that concerns me. And maybe I'm being way too, uh, you know, way, way, way too anal retentive about this and maybe i'm i'm not and maybe i'm completely off base i'd love to hear from people because it just feels to me like adults will look at the children singing in masks and think why i should have a mask on or why aren't i wearing a mask or some will say why do they have those kids in masks you know it'll be a variety of so i've chosen that I've decided that we shouldn't have them in masks. And that means that we have to separate them a bit better than we had planned Mm -hmm. to make sure that they remain safe. And more than anything, this is what we would call a best practice because even though it adds a layer of stress for us and uh, you know, at the end of the day, there's really no, there's no control because if, 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 if somebody walks up to a child and thinks of the most adorable child singing and puts their hand out or or you know gets close enough it's it's going to happen it could happen right but um these are the kinds of decisions we we face and in order so that we can work with our cherished contact again and be the type of company that people say we want to work for and they want to be on our jobs, I want it to remain that way, then we have to, we have to give and we have to understand their needs and have empathy for their concerns. Otherwise, we risk losing a great, great relationship and all the magic that we've created and upsetting people. And so at the end of the day, we don't have a lot of options. We kind of are limited, but we'll do what we can. And that's the bottom line. And that's what I'd love to see happen across this hospitality industry. Because now, more than ever, empathy is important. Absolutely. Uh, not only, right? Absolutely. And it is actually a trend that we see being needed in events. And that is just being ep- empathetic with the attendee. And it's 
really pretty easy to do that right now. You start by looking inside and, and understanding some of the things that you've yourself faced. But it also has a lot to do with getting to know who your attendee is, you know, honing in on that attendee, understanding why they attend your event, who they are, and then uh, ensuring that you're communicating with them in a way that makes them feel comfortable and want to attend your event. Being empathetic to their needs, to their concerns is part of getting them there. As a matter of fact, it's even more important than it's ever been because this idea of being able to pick your own schedule and take a conference or a convention in your own time and have time in the day, space in the day to work and get some of your own things done and not be completely consumed. All of these things are trends and uh, where they're coming from is, is the audience, which is interesting because what it means is that the audience is more in control than it's ever been before. Hmm. And, you know, and like I always say, since Burger King told us we could have it our way, that's what we all believe. You know, I mean, marketing has, you know, perpetuated that message for a very, very, very long time since then. But that's what we all believe. And so in events, it's not going to be any different. And what that means, basically, for those of us who throw them is uh, a, a, a bigger variety might be necessary of learning engagements, the way people learn, and from whom they learn might be necessary. Uh, not only that, but um, you might have to restructure when they can consume that. Uh, we were talking with friends, uh, our friends, Joelle and Amanda. Amanda worked with us for a, a very short time and Joelle does all of our, our graphic design work and they just got an Oculus not too long ago and they are completely immersed in the world of VR and loving every minute of it and captured by it. And you know, we had this discussion and it, and it just dawned on me that wow, we are missing the boat already because this technology already exists. People, our contemporaries are already consuming it. They're already loving it. And yet we're not seeing it in events yet. So um, that's one way, for example, this VR, virtual reality, is one way to allow people to consume breakout learning in their own space and time right? Rather than have a speaker there live in a room, you have it pre-recorded in the virtual setting, and then you make it available on demand at your conference in a space so that you can limit the number of oculuses that you give out, or, you know, you have a sign up for them, or, but they can be available pretty much throughout the day. You don't, you're not bringing in somebody who is you know, giving a presentation over and over and over and over again, you're getting it once. So, um, you know, that's a great way to use VR and give attendees more flexibility within the scope of an event, which is something that they're looking for and something that we is seeing as a trend. They want it. So it's, um, it's funny because on one hand, all the answers are already there. Mm -hmm. All the things that we need are already there uh, to some degree, but um, we're not really sort of putting the pieces together yet. 
Go ahead. I just have a question with, with, you know, the VR, which is an awesome option. Is there any way to make that possible and still have some kind of real-time connection and interaction? Well, I think that in the space of a live event, you would still have that. Your event wouldn't be completely VR, but, okay, one aspect, but one aspect of it would be like the breakouts. So for example, if we were to do a meeting, a general session with breakouts and maybe an evening or two party with you know name entertainment, we would reserve that just for the breakouts so that attendees could consume that course because it requires equipment, uh, would consume it in a specific space with a moderator there, likely, you know, checking these, but they would be able to do that over a longer uh, span of time, for example, because we're not so reliant on one speaker and, you know, the exhaustion that causes number mm -hmm. one. Um, and we're not relying on that to get the information out. Not only that, but then if it's recorded, and I apologize, I don't know whether would require a separate camera recording. I'm not familiar enough with VR recording to know, but uh, at the same time, it makes sense to record it for a virtual audience, which means you're not necessarily uh, recording it in a 3D environment, but you're recording it for access online. And it makes sense, which is sort of getting ahead of the eight ball because we, always find ourselves behind the eight ball when it comes to planning breakouts, but it makes sense to get that recorded in advance of the live meeting. Uh, especially, A, if you're not going to have a live presenter, but B, if you're going to have a live presenter and a virtual audience, then it relieves your, your staff and the presenter and your, your budget a bit for trying to record it live on site. Because the, the bottom line is in most breakout rooms across the world, there is very little infrastructure. Europe does a better job in their breakout rooms of providing infrastructure um, than we do. But overall, there's very little infrastructure to record those things appropriately uh, so that they accommodate the need. We tr tried this many times and when you're limited in funds and you have a camera in a room, even if it's a, a camera that's uh, uh, remote and being, and being manipulated by somebody at a control board, even in those cases, it's hard to capture because of lighting mm. and because of the way that the audience is situated, uh, you know, on the opposite side side of the speaker, if you will. It's very hard with a single camera setup to get that, that interaction. And some speakers do have an, a tendency to work off the audience uh, when, they're, when they're working live or walk around the audience when they're working live. So you're not always getting the best content, the kind of content that you, you can put online that people will pay or not even not pay, just consume because it it speaks to them, you know. It's, There's an energy difference, definitely. Oh my gosh. And it's, it's basically, this is the difference. If the audience, the virtual audience feels like they're watching something as, uh, as like a secondary audience, 
they're observing something in action, but not really seeing it for themselves directly. If they feel like a, a third party to it, they're not going to be as engaged. You have to make that audience feel like you're speaking directly to them. And that's really, really, really hard to do mm -hmm. when you have a single camera in the back of the room because it's a different shot, right? Right. Uh, it's like us sitting here. The audience can't see us, but you know, we're sitting here in front of our cameras like most people do. They're Zoom cameras and you see one another. And that's basically the shot you want to show them when you have when you're teaching something, you want them up close, you want to, you want a head shot so that it helps in the understanding and the learning, you know? Uh, so uh, yeah, it's very important, I think, to start thinking about those things sooner than later. And it's not, it's not, it's certainly not a light lift. And this is why, because usually breakouts are handled, facilitate, facilitated by association members uh, or sponsors that have content that they want to deliver or staff that has uh, particular uh, learnings that they have to communicate. Um, you're, 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 the point is you're relying on other people. And getting them to get the material done is a big lift in advance because most people wait to the last minute. So it's about retraining your, your breakout speakers and getting them to understand that the conference date or the convention date is two weeks after or a month after the need date because we're going to film you via a studio which is much more accessible today than it was pre-COVID. Mm -hmm. And we're going to put your presentation on, you know, virtually, it's going to go up virtually. So we need to get that done in advance. Now, that's going to be a heavy lift. However, what the speakers will get out of that is immense because A, they're going to be forced to uh, follow the format that we're speaking. It's even more difficult because they don't have somebody they're talking to, but they're going to be forced to do that, which is going to bring them closer to their content and give them an opportunity not to change it, but to tweak certain things, mm -hmm. tweak their presentation a bit, and it will give them a little bit of practice, practice they wouldn't normally take or, or engage in for the live presentation and make the live presentation even that much better. It's just another step. There is, you know, we've talked about this as far as uh, when you're doing voiceover, that there's a different technique when you're behind a microphone and you need to get out, even if it's just a standard commercial. You have to be so animated because otherwise, if you're just speaking the copy, as you would do, say, for a TV commercial, if without the body there, it comes across very flat. So you have to be very animated even in something that's very simple and soccer mom, that type of thing. This is kind of a similar situation. It's going to have, it's going to force them to be even more engaged and really step in and tweak that it can't just be a dissemination of information. They have to find ways physically, vocally, and emotionally to connect with an audience they cannot see. That's going to require more energy on their part and some if you will, almost acting type lessons on how do I do that? And a lot of practice. And I mm -hmm. listen, 
we say this and I say this with all humility because when we started this podcast, that was the intent was that I would just start podcasting and uh, you know turn on the Zoom and just start talking. And I tried it on my own and it was devastatingly hard to do. Uh, it, it's just too, too, too difficult. And so it's not, it's not easy. It's yeah. not something that we say flippantly, you got to do this and you should, do, but it will, it will help. And we've said this before on this program and, and we'll, and I've said it a lot in my own life. You've got to get it in the body. You have to get it in the body. And what that means is, you know, it so well that it becomes second nature and it becomes a part of you. What's interesting is that in the case of, of most breakouts, not all of them, the material that's being presented is written by the facilitator. So the, it's already there. Mm -hmm. It's just not there in a presentational manner. And that's what has to be tweaked. You know, it's not like they don't know the information. It's the difference between somebody reading a script and having to read every single thing because they're so afraid that they're going to forget something and just speaking when they know the information, when, when they just speak, it's so much more authentic and engaging and, dis and, and conversational mm -hmm. than it is when they're following a teleprompter, even though the words are theirs, you know, it's because you, that's the difference between when that happens and you see a difference in the presentational style, that's when, you know, somebody is relying on the prompter mm -hmm. and doesn't know their presentation well enough to just use it as a, as a, a reminder of things that have, that have, have to be said, that have to be shared. Um, and, you know, I think for us, we've been in the business a long time, in the, in the theater a long time. Oh, my goodness, we can see it. We uh, watched um, Saturday Night Live, which has gotten really, really good. I, I haven't so watched funny. it in a while. I've got to go back and watch some of them. You really, really, really have to. The, 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 the um, oh, Dan I can't remember his name. Uh, the, the, he's not a cast member yet. He's a feature. Uh, does an incredible Donald Trump. Uh, doesn't really look like him as much as some of the others. He's thinner, but oh, oh my goodness, it's hysterical. Anyway, Lizzo was on this week, who is effervescent, I must say, very charming. Uh, and I had seen some clips and then D'Angelo came home and uh, she did a few, her first scene, she memorized, you could tell. She had her first scene down. She didn't look at the camera once. And D'Angelo made a comment. Wow, she's not even looking at the teleprompter. I said, no, but she will. Uh, and I, then I noticed that later, you know, we noticed that later on as, as she's going through the scenes, she's starting to now really, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Depend, really depend <laughs> on, the, on the teleprompter. Uh, and you can tell at in SNL because it's about facing front, mm -hmm. you know, I think you've seen it yourself and you could see it in people's eyes when you really look. I challenge. Yeah, absolutely. You can totally, the, the, the pros that are doing it, you can totally see when they're reading. Absolutely. But I wonder if 
everyone can see that, especially in SNL, especially when they're engaged in skits. Uh, so I, I throw that question out and I, I encourage people not to ruin it for you, even though it's already ruined for us. I'm really curious. I hope people answer that because to me, I don't know how you not notice it. And I'm wondering, is it just because of what we do? Is I never even dawned on me that, oh, well, that's a critical eye based on my background. Yeah, I think it is. I really do. I think um, it's a critical eye based on your background and based on the just the act of observation. People who are observant, who aren't necessarily in the theater will recognize that. But I think people who are in the theater will absolutely recognize it for one very important reason. And that is in the theater, you don't get no monitors. You don't get no teleprompters unless you're Barbra Streisand and you're in concert, but you don't get that stuff. It doesn't exist. You learn your lines, you know, and you have to know your lines. And uh, so I think there's a bit of, you know, uh, envy. I'm not sure envy is the right word for me. And I, I, you go ahead. And a little bit maybe of um, uh, resentment, you know, because they get to use those things and they get paid a lot more money. But I did. I did an industrial, a live industrial, and one of the actors had a device where his lines were being spoken to him. Right, he recorded it, and I, I love this guy dearly. Very talented actor, and he's a wonderful human being. And I was really, I was really annoyed at that. And I thought, why are you getting paid the same amount of money? As yeah, me? I get it. I, I don't feel like you should be, especially because right before the show started, his batteries went out, and he didn't yeah. have anything memorized. Yeah, see, that's the thing. You you can't. You have to know your stuff because it's it's when you're in an ensemble like that on stage. It's not just about you. Even if you're the star, it's about that entire ensemble and working together. And the way that you that you for your line is a cue for somebody. Uh, it it will color their action and it's all really integral. It's like making real life happen in mm -hmm. front of you. You're not waiting for it to happen in your earpiece first. And there's a, there is a definite risk, not only the technological risk, but the disengagement risk that you suffer when somebody's up there, you can tell <laughs> that they're focused on something else. That's the voice in their ear. And it's off-putting when you have to play with them or play a scene with them. Uh, so, Especially you know. since it was he and I on stage, things happened. We had the bulk of the dialogue and it was paragraphs at a time of very poorly written, Ugh, very poorly written script, very poorly written script. I usually can memorize pretty well. At least I used to be able to, I haven't had to do right. it in a while and memorize quickly. And I struggled with this, but I did it. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, if you go up, I can't bail you out because it's not written well enough for me to bail you out. Right, right. Because it's, and that means that there's not a, uh, there's not a through line of thought things. You're probably, uh, you know, your, your thought process is bouncing around probably that, you know, the text is bouncing around and it's hard to follow. But the, the 
the point there is that it becomes very aggravating for everyone else who has taken the time uh, because they can no longer rely on you uh, on stage. And now they're bringing on stage a, a, a concern, a worry, a stress due to you because you know they've taken the time. Mm -hmm. But not so we, we don't get caught in the weeds on that. I would like to say <laughs> that one of the reasons why I asked you to come and work for me in the office was how impressed I was at how fast you were able to learn your lines. And you remember this, I'm sure it was the last time we did the uh, the skit yes. for uh, San Diego Tourism Authority. And yeah, bless her. Yeah. And Alex played a meeting planner, and I hired her to play this role again. She she revised the role. She had done it before. We changed the script a bit. And the whole idea of the script, San Diego Tourism Authority had asked us to put together was to better educate the planner as to how to do a thorough and appropriate and uh, successful walkthrough of their property. And so, of course, we we did a parody of it. And our salesperson did absolutely everything wrong. And Alex was the planner that had to deal with that. And uh, we used a really great actor uh, who had a bit tougher time than Alex did, which only made her look better because she had her lines memorized. I couldn't believe how fast she had her lines memorized, honestly. I think it was the first rehearsal. We went through you it. Uh-huh. And then two days later, yeah. came back. Yeah. And you had it all memorized. You know, I, I will, I will say, because we're all human, it wasn't easy for you that day, mm -hmm. but you still had, you still had it memorized. You know, you still had much of it memorized. And that was so impressive because it is, it was, first of all, it was a full on scene, pages of dialogue. It wasn't just a, two pages and uh you know it took commitment and it, it showed me that she was serious about her work and that she could be trusted and that she was committed and that she would get things done uh and it that and I'd known Alex for a very very long time and worked with her but that that's when the light went off for me and I was like oh my god like I can't let this girl go come back <laughs> and uh, you didn't no i haven't right? and you and you haven't no but i don't plan to either <laughs> i don't right. want to hear it going back to what we see on the horizon for this year i'm sh in the association market specifically and i learned this through my studies at sdsu one of the things uh that uh is a trend this year moving forward presentation wise is the idea of panels, panels and futurists, if you will. People are um, more interested in hearing what's happening with their peers. So panel discussions sort of outweigh keynote presentations at this point because people wanna hear from their peers and um, people wanna know what to look forward to. They want some sense of what's coming which is really hard to know. Um, so those are the two topics that are trending right now, at least in the association world and likely in the association world because very little is trending in the corporate world. I mean, there's still 
very little business going on as usual. Uh, it's starting to trickle in, but it's still very small. And I, you know, I don't really expect to see much of that until next year, quite honestly. We've said this before, too much liability. You know, you're not allowing, in a corporate setting, people aren't necessarily making their own decisions. They feel compelled to come or mandated to come or go to an event because they're told to, or they think their job depends on it. Uh, whereas in an association, the association world, it's, it's, you know, you pay to be a member, you pay to go to the conferences, it's purely your choice. Uh, if you're on a board of an association or you're on a committee, then you probably feel a little bit more compelled to go than anybody who's just a member. But the point is that it's optional, you know, and uh, that's a huge difference in today's environment. And so we're seeing trends in the association world because they're meeting to some degree. Um, but in the, in the corporate world, we're not because they're not. My thought is that next year when corporates come back, a lot of the, a lot of the technology that um, we're having a hard time uh, bringing into events, uh, I think we're going to see it come out. I think we're going to see it come into play. Um, we learned through Corbin Ball, who uh, is a technology expert in the world of events, that facial recognition software already exists mm -hmm. for events. So as we know, our iPhone uses it, but there are applications that are applicable to the event world. So that is something that I can imagine will be on the horizon very soon because it, it cuts down wait times. And even though it's probably an expense now, at the end of the day, it's going to cut costs because it should cut the number of people you need at a registration desk if it's cutting down wait times. So that's very promising. We've done work with uh, clients who have asked us to bring in translation services. So we know that the cost of those translation services with the equipment and the translators, uh, and it usually requires two translators to come on for one language if in fact you're going on for a couple of hours. So it's not a, it's a costly endeavor. Uh, we're seeing more technology focused on translation services, uh, not with 100% accuracy yet, but, but pretty close and usable. And this requires a, a, a smartphone app. Uh, and I believe, uh, of course, you'd have to hook it up in the room somehow, but it's a much less expensive option for those who need translation services in their events. Is the translation being done by a human or is it automated? It's automated, I'm mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Machine learning is the, the newest trend, uh, the collection of data at events, the way that we will collect data at events, data, data, whatever, uh, the way that we collect it at events, that, that's changing because of machine learning and the fact that everything that we do online is traceable. And everything we do live is not traceable. As human beings with free will, we can go and do what we want and then decide whether or not we're going to take a survey and tell people what we think, and then decide whether or not we're going to be honest and tell them what we really think, or we're in the mood to be you know, really forthright and verbose uh, when we get the survey, all of those things. But when we're on our technology, when we're on our computers, and we're in a, uh, well, when we're anywhere online, we're being tracked, 
through cookies so people know that we're there, right? And when we go into event platforms, all of that is coded on the back end so that all of you know the hosts and the sponsors can see what you've been doing at the event, where you've spent your time. And that's so valuable, yeah. especially in the association market or market other markets that rely on sponsorships. Because for the first time, it's going to be much easier, at least in that realm, to show sponsors what it is that people have done or how many people went to their their booth how many people stayed there for so long a time this software is becoming available this geo tracking software is becoming available in the live world as well it's not exact it doesn't give you the names of attendees but in the live world it can tell you how many people came in to the trade show how many people stayed, how long they stayed, how many people went to a specific booth, how long they stayed at that particular booth. So unfortunately, the ID is the tag that's missing there, right? They don't really know who it is. So from a marketer's point of view or an exhibitor's point of view, you still don't know who it is. Mm -hmm. But you know, walking away from that, well, I shouldn't say you don't know who it is. If you're at the booth, you should have some idea. But also, you walk away with the knowledge that people spent time at my booth more than they may at another show. So this show is the one that I need to invest more money in. I mean, that's what this is all about, making more informed decisions, right? So it's interesting that these things are coming out. I just don't think we're going to see them until they're adopted by corporations who have the funds and who have the spend to incorporate them and they become a little bit more mainstream. And then I think we'll see them in, in the association world. I think it's going to be a, a bit more time. You can ask a question. I asked it. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. No, I asked it was, yeah. So all of this said, um, budgets are a concern because, oh my God, well, do we need it? Because, <laughs> Everything is going up. Everything. Inflation is at eight and a half percent and uh, the highest it's been in a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. And uh, things are more complicated and labor is hard to find. So budgets are going to be hit. And uh, I think that what we're going to see is that once the newness of being able to meet again wears thin, again, as it will, again, then we're going to be struggling a bit because there's going to be a need to engage people in new and different ways, and there may not be the money there to do it. Uh, that's a concern. Just, we'll have to see how things sort of wash out. You know, will memberships go up in associations? Will they, you know, will they, uh, replace some of the funds they're going to lose in planning their meetings? Will they replace that somehow? Will fees go up? Will attendance fees go up? Hotel room charges will go up for sure. Travel will go up for sure. And, you know, that brings me to the idea that, you know, we're still in this hybrid curiosity time. Confusion. People don't really know what it is. No. They're not quite sure how they're going to use it. 
Do they want to spend the money to do something that they don't really understand? Right. Do they get the value? The Mm -hmm. value is not perceived at this point, at least. It wasn't perceived to, to be the same. But will that change? Will people's perceptions change? And does it make sense to be to go virtual if, in fact, budgets are a concern? Does it not make sense to take the leap of faith now, spend the money now and start turning you know, start start developing a hybrid audience. Because at the end of the day, with a hybrid audience, all of the costs are spent up front with the with the diff, with with the exclusion of operating the the Wi-Fi and making sure that your content is loading correctly and the maintenance on the site. With the exception of that, it's done. Everything is all the content is done. And then you monetize it. So it means sort of a leap of faith, if you will. Uh, but, the, but the monetization of it is incredible. I mean, the, the possibilities are endless. And, you, and if, you're not, if, you, if you get out of the, we'll do this one time in, at, you know, in front of a live audience and get this many people and make this much money, if you could just sort of turn that around a bit and think, but if we produce this one time and we put this on a virtual format and we open it up to our, our people, our, our members, our attendees, and we give them a knockout price to consume it, the residual value is incredible. And the price is going up for those kinds of engagements, not coming yeah. down. No way. So, so there, it's an up market. Yeah. So it just see, it's just about con- making those connections, I think. I was really, really bummed. We've done some association business this year. None of it has been virtual. None of it has been hybrid because the focus has been on coming back together. People wanna come back together, which only makes me think that once again, the newness of meeting each other again in person and being able to talk about the last two years and how horrible they were, once that wears down, virtual and hybrid particularly will begin to define itself and we'll start seeing. And it's going to have to, because again, we talk about inflation and with everything going up, it's, it's less easy to travel. You know, that's the point, right? It's less just, easy. It's just financially, it's it's sad. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I'm a, I, I know I'm getting old, and my eyes, my my ideas are are getting old with me. <laughs> but I think it's really sad because what it feels like is the the disenfranchising of people who will no longer be able to afford to go live and will have to be content to uh, consume it virtually. That's what I am most concerned about. I, I, I'm concerned about those people because it doesn't feel the same. And, it, and the point is that the experience is becoming more and more expensive. And so those people are just gonna be disincluded. Yeah. I don't even know if that's a word. I'll look it up later, but. I like it. I think it should be a word and we should do watch your mouth and have that in there. Watch your mouth. 
Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. So, um, yeah, so there's a lot to look forward to. And it's mm -hmm. going to be crazy. We're crazy. We know what it feels like. Uh, I told Alex before we got on this, this broadcast that, uh, this podcast, I should say that I'm, I'm producing a headliner. It it's coming about very quickly. It's May 12th. So exciting. We haven't even signed the contracts yet. I'm still waiting for the lawyer. Wanted to just wring his neck, um, to, uh, <laughs> I'll have to tell you about that too, um, to, approve the contract so that we can move forward. In the meantime, we're doing it at a concert venue upstate in California in Mill Valley. And I've called, reached out to them twice already the venue and I can't get a response. So I'm already like feeling aggravated about this because there's no time to waste. And, you know, I feel like my butt's on the line as well. I've got to make this deal come through mm -hmm. uh, for the client as well as for the artist. And I just can't get a response. It just feels like the way of the world. Everything is harder than it used to be. Right. It's just crazy. crazy. And I had a conversation with somebody that we know and love. We know and love this person. And I texted today in all caps, please confirm. And he, you know, he called me right away. And I said, I'm so sorry to be a pest and a thorn in your side. He goes, no, 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 no. You know, this isn't how I operate. I said, I know it isn't. That's why I'm texting you. It's just, we're all so slammed. And what did our dear friend Tara say to us the other day when we were at the VESA luncheon? B, was it B, B, B? Uh, oh, darn it. I can't remember, but it's burned out or... Uh, it was three B's about what we're all facing right now, because there's, there's so much going on and um, we're excited about the work. We're tired. Everybody's stretched, right? There is not a lot of, you know, there, we, we are on, everybody is short staffed. Um, so it's, it's a hard thing being grateful for the work and wondering how am I going to get it done on a daily basis? Right. And I'm finding that people that are very reliable sources are not getting back to me. Yeah, it's different. It yeah. feels very, very different. And I can't be mad at them. But no, I'm producing the uh, chairing, I should say, the leadership lunch for Cater Source and the special event, which is on May 5th. So, in keeping with the trend, I have not registered for the conference yet, a very late registrant. Uh, and in keeping with the difficulties of, of planning an event, I still don't have cloths. I still don't have a budget for the catering. I still don't have a menu. I was hoping to get that today. Uh, there are so many loose ends. I don't have a stage and I don't have AV yet. And I'm now starting to feel my, you know, stomach up in my throat mm -hmm. because it's starting to get close and uh you know i've limited time to make these things happen i know that i'll pull it together because we always do but it feels different and you know what maybe i'm not so sure this time and maybe that's part of the anxiety that it doesn't feel like it's coming together as it normally would even in the most difficult of times it feels even more difficult mm -hmm. uh, usually what we deal with is what holds us up is the uh, decisions are the decisions that need to be made, right? Um, but in this case, it's seems to be a lack of 
passion, a lack of real desire, a lack of, you know, people wanting to make an impact. It feels like people are defeated a bit. And on top of that, technology gets faster and faster and faster. But we don't. We get slower. And so I think we're feeling the effects of that, especially those of us who are middle-aged and above, who aren't native users, who you know had to adapt to technology and now are just trying to keep up with it. I mean, the, the bottom line is, as fast as technology is, human beings still run at a certain pace. And we're either gonna fry out because of the demands of technology or I don't know what's gonna happen. It's crazy, but it gets faster and faster and we don't. And so- well, I opened my emails up this morning on Easter Sunday, Pesach as well. At eight something at night, I was getting an email from a client. I, I don't fault them. I feel bad that on what should be a holiday, She's working. Yeah. Yeah, there's the, there's there's no rest. It's seven days a week. I, I've been going seven days a week. I think you've been going seven days a week. And when you add on top of that, all of the things that people want in their lives and have in their lives, like children and pets and a home and a car and uh, outside interests to keep them sane and friends, it, it becomes, life feels very obligatory and less fun because it feels like there's just so much that needs to be done, right? It's interesting. We're not, uh, we're not, it, it, it's interesting because I, I grow concerned that the technology will just someday take over because why have humans do things when technology can do it so much faster? And what what's happening is that the, the great divide is happening and there's the middle class is disappearing. And that's one of the reasons why people won't be able to go to events because they won't exist. I'm getting in the weeds. So. That should be our tagline. <laughs> so there was something else that I wanted to share today that I found very interesting in my studies at SDSU in the meetings and events, event management master's program. And uh, we are in what's called data-driven decision-making. And the entire curriculum of this course is based on how to locate data, how to get it, um, the different kinds of data that you use to form um, decisions and, and all around the event world. So we had some articles we had to read. One was an article on asking questions and asking the right questions. And that led me to an article on the ladder of inference. Mm, I like this. Yes. Yeah. I thought you might like this. So what's so interesting about the ladder of inference is, you know, when you just don't understand how somebody can believe what they believe. You can't <laughs> understand 
when somebody's actions are what they are, be them amoral or, you know, just completely out of space or left field or just not in alignment with what you think, right? So that's what the ladder of inference is. It's, it's um, a process that sort of, if you will, defines what happens in the brain that leads people to believe things that aren't necessarily real or don't have any tangible evidence to back it up. And the way that it starts is with reality and facts, right? That's what we live with, reality and facts. But then what happens is that based on our experience in life, we select what facts and reality we choose to believe. And then we interpret that reality for ourselves and we apply it to our existing assumptions, sometimes without even considering what those are, right? We just automatically go there. Yeah, it's an automatic response. Right, and we draw conclusions based on how we interpreted the facts and then our assumptions of the facts. And then we develop our beliefs based on that. And that all seems right because they're based on what we believe. But it's not always right. Right. Because there's nothing factual, nothing necessarily, no data supports it. It's just what we believe. And I found that ladder of inference to be so interesting because I often wondered, how is it that people get so wrapped up in a belief when the reality is hitting them, staring them, smacking them in the face, and they just don't see it? You know, how, what is it about us? Because I've been there. Yeah, absolutely. Right? We all have. Of course, we all have. We just can't see the reality. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a very interesting phenomenon that we do select. We have to be very cautious about this because we select our reality based on our experiences. And that's why being mindful about who we are and our experiences really does matter. I was blown away by this. We also create our reality based on our experiences for the well, for better or worse. Well, exactly. Exactly. It becomes a self-fulfilling mm -hmm. prophecy, mm -hmm. right? Because we make it come true when we believe it. And what we believe is what our reality is. So mm -hmm. it's uh, it's very interesting. I found this to be very, very, very interesting. And something that we all need to keep in mind, not only as event professionals, but as people. That it's important to question our beliefs uh, and the things that we think are true. You know, there's nothing wrong with doing that. And um, absolutely not. It's, I will say, should be doing it. I will say, as a result of doing that, I don't, I feel like I know less than I did when I was 20. Now, the reality of that is quite different, of course, but that's how I feel because there's so many more questions than there are answers. And I always marvel when I see people who are so, so, so secure in their knowledge of something. This is absolutely the way it is. No question. Because I question everything. And I wonder, 
you know, how people can be so definitive in their beliefs of, of things. Um, Hence the need for empathy, as we talk about. Yes. In all things in life, in all areas of life, in events and work and personal relationships, whatever. The, the empathy is, is more important now than ever. Yeah, it really is. And uh, it's, it's definitely also a part of emotional intelligence, EQ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it was, what was his name? Will, uh, they did a musical about him. Will Rogers. Mm-hmm. Don't judge a man until you've walked a mile in his shoes. Um, it's, it's exactly that. You can't understand somebody's uh, challenges in life, their expectations, their reality until you've walked a mile in their shoes. And that's what empathy is. Mm-hmm. It's not sympathy. It's not no. feeling sorry. Mm-mm. It's understanding and, and taking and action it- based on that. And it's a willingness to see another point of view, to right. have compassion. And I don't want to say tolerate, because to me, tolerate is not a good word. Acceptance, compassion yeah. and acceptance for another way, another point of view. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, that, that means looking past the words and the tone and allowing yourself to not get caught up in the tone of what's being thrown at you or the words that are being used. Uh, Your best defense in those cases is to take an opposite approach and to dig deeper and to ask questions than it is to be defensive and uh, start an argument. Because, uh, and the empathy comes in when you understand what's driving that. If you get to the seed of what it is, rather than being impacted by what it is, then you have a better chance of diffusing the situation and making a friend or turning around somebody's opinion. Uh, and that's, that's power, very powerful, much more powerful than arguing and putting your back out and uh, putting your back up and, and you know, exactly. screaming and being defensive, much more powerful. Yeah. And then it's finding the balance of when do you stand your ground? Because there are times when that is necessary, uh, given the situation I'm currently in. Um, I, think it, I think it's always okay for you yeah. to stand your ground. Honestly, I think yeah. I think it just comes with, um, you know, some of us get a little caught up in doing that because we feel guilty. And then some of us are afraid to do that. And your situation right now is a little bit different because there is a risk of violence there is definitely risk. but when there isn't a risk of violence then yeah. stating your peace is not confrontational and that's no. what i think a lot of us feel it is if, if yeah. i say what i really want or what i really feel it's going to be confrontational <laughs> i know that's true for me that's why i try to keep my mouth shut but uh, so I uh, learned something in, you know, in these studies that I'm doing, right? These, these, uh, my woo-woo studies. And one woo-woo. of the things, my woo-woo, woo-woo, one of the things that, you know, really coming to realize, and I'm finally coming to truly embrace is that where I speak truth, others hear love. So there is a way to speak your truth. And there is a way to state what you want and what you need and know that everybody else hears it 
in a loving way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and part of that is not getting so caught up in what you think everybody's going to think of you, and uh, you know the the anxiety that you feel trying to say what it is you feel you need to say, and just a little blessing of getting older too, because yeah. you really begin to care less. Yeah, about but it. Most most of that is because you care so much about the way it's going mm-hmm. to be received. Yeah, and then it comes out wrong. And then it's received the wrong way. And once again, the reality you know, becomes what you believe, right? So there's another little tool that I have learned. It's not really a tool. I mean, it's something I think we, we all inherently know, but um, it's kind of a funny terminology that my teacher keeps telling me. It's called the finger of truth, that every time there is a negative thought, regardless of what it is. At first, I thought it was just a negative thought of me towards me, but it's a negative thought, period finger up. It's amazing when you start really paying attention. All these thoughts that you think are innocuous, how many times a day they're there? And you don't, you know, you go through your day, you don't think anything of it. You think, well, that's a valid thought. Well, sure, it's a valid thought, but what good is it doing? Mm. And it's, it's kind of mind-blowing and a little bit scary when you start to really evaluate what's going on in your own brain. I'm going to try to do that. Put a finger up. So if you see my finger up in the car, that's likely, most likely where you're going to see my finger go up is in the car. Because that's more, that's usually when I'm aggravated with people who do stupid things is when I'm in the car. But just know that the first step in any kind of recovery is acknowledged the problem right and give yourself a break for not being perfect but isn't there something about not trying to change what can't be changed yes yes <laughs> yes uh that is too funny and i just had a thought like whisk by that i wanted to share with you and poof just like that oh well now i'm very curious i wonder what the thought was it is gone. And it was, one. One. It, was, it was a good one too. I know it was a good one because it that felt empathy. good. It's like, I need, no, I have something I got, I got to share this. I got to share this. And then boom. And I just kept yabbering. No, 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 no. I, I don't know what it is. You know, it's age. It is. Oh, here's here what it is. Um, I'm learning through wisdom and age that um, if you need something, and you're contracting with somebody, you can't be afraid to put it in the contract. You can't be afraid to state the need when you're in that negotiation and that exchange, because if you don't, and then later something goes awry, whether you got that need fulfilled or not, it doesn't matter because you didn't make a case for it in the beginning from a legal perspective. So that alone is good, good, um, a good reminder that if you feel that you can't state what it is you need, then you either have to give it up completely because saying later on, you didn't say anything about it, but you really needed it is not going to help you. Mm-hmm. So you either give up on it and never make it an issue, or you state it up front clearly, and you get it taken care of. And I'm in that situation with a few of our clients. One of them is this concert, the lawyer came back. And um, 
concerts in uh, upstate California, and we're dealing with a headliner. So the bottom line is if there's a force majeure, there's some negotiation that has to happen and the headliner will likely not return the deposit. And depending on where the headliner is, not seek additional payment, depending on where and when something should happen. So uh, the contract came back and, and the question from the attorney was, well, don't you think it's fair and equitable that if there should be an earthquake and the fire department has to save lives that uh, you know, all expenses would be uh, returned and you know, all monies would be returned uh, except for expenses that could be documented and you know, that except for expenses that couldn't be refunded. So, you know, on the face of that, it seems pretty innocuous, but when you think about it, no, because there are people that work behind the scenes that the artist pays, that we pay, and this work has been ongoing. It doesn't mm -hmm. just commence when we do the event. And so I had to be very tactful and say, no, as a matter of fact, you're the host. And if something, it, you know, fair and equitable is what we all want, but it's a question of when. And if we're all on site and there's an earthquake, then as the host, I'm sorry, but you carry the brunt of the liability because you brought us all there. That's the way it is. And by the way, we live in California and we live with that threat every single day. And still we move forward. That's what I wrote him back. I'm waiting to hear the response, um, you know, because I, I had to, it took me hours, you know, I'm not an attorney. I feel like I have to be one being in, uh, in business today, but, yes. but I had to be very clear because if something does happen and they're there and they're ready to perform and hopefully they don't get impacted or hurt, they're going to be paid. That's just the bottom line. We have no control of that. That's the way it works. And so I can't agree. I just couldn't. I had to you know, say, no, that's not going to work. This is why. And that's not the only client that, that I'm, I'm having this back and forth with. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is, again, because you have to state what you need. You have to state it up front. I have another client who asked me to travel during the week of May 5th to do some recording, some video recording which I'd love to do. It's a great thing. It's a lot of fun. And uh, when I looked at the schedule and how it was going to fit in, I, I thought, oh my God, this is really going to be three long days. They haven't even sent me a shoot schedule. This is just the travel to get there. Um, and I asked what the budget was and they gave me a travel fee and a per diem fee and I thought about it and I said, you know, this is just not worth my time. I mean, I want to do this, but it's asking a lot. I don't need a lot of money to go to Chicago for a few days and film this, but I need to make sure that my time is respected and covered. Exactly. I asked for a thousand dollars, which is not a lot mm -mm. at all. It should be more like five to 10, quite honestly. But I asked for a thousand dollars just because I felt like it was necessary and I was concerned because it's a client I've had for a long time. I've never done this for them. I don't want to mess up the relationship. It's not a money relationship to begin with for us. It's something that, you know, I enjoy doing. So, which is, you know, one of the pleasures I have, I guess, running a business. 
So nonetheless, I was concerned, but she came back to me and said, you know, I never even considered it. Now I could be offended by that, but it doesn't matter. The point is she didn't even consider it. So this gave her an opportunity to consider the fact that, yeah, you know, you gotta pay the talent. So I've taught her something mm -hmm. and hopefully it works out, but if it doesn't, hey, I move on because it wasn't a lot of money, a lot of money to begin with. And B, I had to state what it is I needed before I could move on, you know, and I'd rather do that than, and this is how we get in trouble, accept it, accept the fact that there's no money for me, you know, go through the three days, get up at 3 a.m. to get to the airport and, you know, all of that crap and be happy while doing it. You know, it's either one way or the other, but I can't start bitching if I made this decision to not ask for anything and I take the job and go, and I can't say no when there are obstacles in the way, you know, when they, because that will likely happen. I can't just throw up my hands and say, oh, well, I said I would, but I can't now. Right. You wouldn't do, and you wouldn't do that to them, period. You just wouldn't do it. Ever. Ever. And that's, that's the way I, we all have to think because that's what taking responsibility is all about. And that's how we go down rabbit holes. We have to remember that when we made a decision, when we agreed, we agreed. And in the eyes of the law, you agreed, whether it's in writing or verbally, as long as it's not both, you agreed. And that should mean something. And that should mean something to each of us too, what we agree to do our word. Which is why we should give people a second. And unfortunately, because we move so fast, we don't. Take a second to think so that you can give an answer that's in everybody's best interest. No isn't a bad thing. If it's not in a client's best interest or if it's not in your best interest, no is a blessing. Yeah. We've just gotten so conditioned that no is a negative. It really no. is not. I mean, we run an agency. We know we sometimes mm -hmm. get no's. Uh, you know, I'm not really interested in that or uh, it's not enough money or, or I've got something and whatever the excuse is or the reason is i should say reason. in the beginning it would offend me i have to say when i was young and i was you know i couldn't believe somebody didn't want to work but as i matured i realized that you know people just have their things and you can't you don't live in somebody else's brain you don't know what's you know what the reality is all about and the no may be because they're not going to be able to give the time and dedication to your project to do it justice and then that right. makes everybody look bad that's right and you don't always know that lesson unless you just sort of take it with grace mm -hmm. and move on and exactly. do what you need to do grace being the operative word grace yes so I kind of think that's about it for today. Mm -hmm. It's been a nice conversation. Yeah. And we've talked about a lot of things uh, and there's more to come. Uh, we're going to have some more interviews with SDSU. We're also going to hear about the SDSU certificate program in event management, which is available and uh, at a, a lower cost for people who want to dip their toe and get a feel for the event world. I will say all about the experience economy so you can't go wrong by being in an industry that creates experiences yay yes sugar sugar that's it for us today uh if you 
enjoyed listening to us, please tell your friends, please share us. Don't be afraid to share us. We love to be shared. If you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, you know what to do with the stars. I'm not going to bug you. <laughs> Happy Passover. If you'd like to leave us a question or a comment, uh, you can do so by finding us at bolotta.com. That's B-O-L-L-O-T-T-A.com. Just look for the podcast tab and leave your comment or question there, and we'll be sure to share it on the air. In the meantime, we say goodbye. Hi, Anara. And stay engaging. <laughs> <laughs>